if you thought this was gonna be just a normal podcast of history you are wrong just can't you see because it's crazy ass history All right, welcome back everyone to our fourth episode of Crazy Ass History. I'm Taylor. I'm Brandon. And we haven't recorded in a really long time because things have been really crazy. It was Christmas, it was New Year's, I went to Disney World, which was fun. We got a new puppy. Tex. Yeah, his name is Tex, he's really cute. If you follow us on Instagram, you probably already saw his picture when I said that. We recorded this episode about a week ago, and then my computer decided to delete the entire thing. So we are re-recording, unfortunately. And Brandon got a new job, so we've been running around trying to find him a new place to live. So everything has just been all over the place. Trying to make these moves. Yeah, so we got a new microphone. Uh, we are back on one microphone. Yeah, she said I couldn't have a, two, a microphone to myself anymore. The two microphone was really hard to edit, so we're hoping, I'm hoping that this one will work out. It's kind of like a round, like a ball, so I'm hoping that it will pick up both of our voices if Brandon can keep his head straight turned toward the microphone and actually talk into it. I get distracted very easily, so I wouldn't count on it. All right, so you want to go ahead and get into our story? Yeah, actually, you already know what's in the back because it's our second time recording it, so I might have a little more commentary this time. Oh, well, do you remember what it's about? (laughs) No. So in our last episode, we did Chicago World's Fair, and I told you what we were going to do this time, and so it's H.H. Holmes, and if you've heard of him, any of you listeners, I know Brandon has not heard of him except for what I told him the last time we recorded, but he's pretty cool. I pretty cool in like a, a messed up way. So let's get started. So H.H. H. Holmes was a serial killer. I'm going to start with like kind of just an overview of him and then we're going to go into the details. So he was a serial killer, a con artist, and a bigamist. Now what exactly is the... The last word I said? Yeah. Um, so basically what I found, I didn't know what it was either, but I looked it up and it's basically a person who's married to like two people at once, but not polygamy. It's like he was married to one woman and then he married another woman, but they were not okay with it or did they, they didn't know about it either. Hmm. But apparently you were able to do that back then. He's good at keeping things secret then. Yeah. H.H. H. Holmes is also... America's first documented serial killer, which is interesting. All right, so let's start with his early life. He was born as Herman Webster Mudgett in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, on May 16th, 1861. That last name is very funny. Yes, uh, it's definitely not the one that he went by when he was a murderer. So his parents were Levi Horton Mudgett, was his dad, and his mom was Theodate Page Price. He had an older sister named Ellen, an older brother named Arthur, a younger brother named Henry, and a younger sister named Mary. So he was the middle child. Decent size family. Yeah, big family. 
And the only other thing that was really about his like young life was that he was bullied as a child because apparently he was teased because he had a fear of doctors. What is that called? I don't know. I did not look up like the actual term for fear of doctors. Hmm. But that will come into play later on. And how do other kids know he's afraid of doctors? I guess he told them or, I mean, he had a bunch of siblings. So I'm sure the school had like 30 people at it. So rumors spread. Hmm. And at 16, he graduated high school and began teaching in Gilmanton and Alton, which are, I think, both towns in New Hampshire. Yeah. Graduated early. Yeah, he graduated high school pretty early. And then on July 4th, 1868, he married a lady named Clara Lovering, and they had a son on February 3rd, 1880. And then at the age of 18, he enrolled in the University of Vermont, but left after only a year. And then in 1882, he entered the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery and graduated in June of 1884 after passing all of his exams. So he went from being terrified of doctors and now he is a doctor. Role reversal. Yeah, so that's a little weird. And then, and this is even more weird though, while in medical school, it said that he would steal cadavers from the lab, disfigure them, and then try to collect insurance money from them by claiming that they had an accidental death. A cadaver? Is that like a fake body? Uh, I'm pretty confident that a cadaver is a real body. I should have looked this up since the last time we recorded this, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a medical professional or know anything about medical things, but I'm pretty sure, I don't know if they still use cadavers that are actual people these days. They might use like a fake sort of tissue that simulates a real person. But back in these days, cadavers were real people. So it was like dead people that they could work on and then see like how to actually operate and do surgery on a real person rather. Because back in those days, you couldn't even do like virtual surgery. You had to just look at it in a book. Hmm. And at this time, when he was still in school, it was said that he started treating his wife, Clara, very violently. And she moved back to New Hampshire away from him. And I assume she took the child, but they didn't get divorced. And so after graduation, Holmes had different jobs in the New England area. One, he worked at a drugstore where a boy died after taking medicine that was purchased at the store. And I guess there were rumors that Holmes was the one who had done something to like hurt the little kid, but he denied any involvement in the child's death and then immediately fled the city. If he was innocent, I don't think he would have ran. Yeah, that's basically what they're thinking. So right before he moved to Chicago, which is where he went after he fled the city, he changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes, hence H.H. Holmes. Triple H. Yeah. What's with the three H's? I don't know. And he did this to avoid the possibility of being exposed by victims of his previous scams. So guess he had started his con artist ways quite early. And then in 1886, he married another woman named Murda Beltnap while he was still married to Clara. And either he or Clara did file for divorce, can't remember which one, but the papers were never actually finalized. So technically he was married to the two ladies at once. So it wasn't like he was just hiding it, but it just happened that they never signed the divorce papers. I guess, but if 
Clara had filed the divorce papers and he could have intentionally not continued with filing for the divorce. Like, you know. So it wasn't like a side bait situation. I don't really know. I think it could be because I don't know if Murda knew that he was married. But was he like traveling back to Pennsylvania to meet his old? I don't think he ever lived in Pennsylvania. Oh, what'd you say? He lived in New Hampshire. Did he travel back to New Hampshire to meet his old lady? There was not too much detail on that, so I could not say uh, completely. We're going to cut that one part out where I said Pennsylvania. No, we're leaving it. No, <laughs> we're taking that out. Anyways, Murda and Holmes had a daughter together, and they named her Lucy Theodate Holmes. And I guess Theodate after his mother. Then, this part was a little fuzzy, but I'm pretty sure this is what happened. So in 1886... Holmes actually arrived in Chicago, and I'm pretty sure I read some places that he left his new wife and daughter to the curb. He threw them to the curb already. And when he got to Chicago, he came across a new drugstore that was owned by Elizabeth S. Holton, and he got a job there. And apparently he was a really hardworking employee, you know, employee of the month type guy, and he eventually brought, bought the drugstore for himself. And so after he bought the drugstore, he bought a lot across from the drugstore. And this was in 1887. And here he built, he either built or it was already there. But I'm pretty sure he built it from the ground up. He built a two-story mixed-use building where the apartments were on the second floor. And then there was retail spaces on the first. Kind of like, you know, they had back in the olden days like these. Always kind of wanted to live in something like this and have a store on the bottom. That would probably be pretty neat. Yeah, have kind of like a Bob's Burgers situation. Yeah. I feel like it'd be really easy to steal, though, if it wasn't your own business. To steal? Yeah. If it's not your business and you live above a business. You could steal from the business? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, So after buying the drugstore... Oh, I just read that. Ha-ha. Okay, so then in 1892, he added a third floor to his already two-story building that he intended to use as a hotel... For the upcoming World's Fair. And this building, the whole structure, is what became known as the Murder Castle. So, the Murder Castle was well, not your average old building. What? It's fuzz. Mm-mm. This? Mm-hmm. It's fuzz. I just put it there. I picked it off of this blanket. Those spiders going across the ground. <laughs> it was be out. still. I was about to be gone. All right. Well, Brandon is over here freaking out because I'm picking fuzz off the blanket that I'm sitting on, and he thought it was a spider. I seen it slide across the table. I thought it was a spider moving. Even when I touched it and moved it, he still thought it was a spider. Why would I touch a spider? I don't know. You should kind of grow there once in a while. Okay. Anyways, back to the murder castle. So, it was kind of crazy. And he built it to have these things in it. So, I had soundproof rooms, secret passages... A disorienting maze of hallways and staircases. They would basically go to nowhere. Or they would like go to like a brick wall. Which didn't make sense. And the rooms had trap doors over chutes. And the chutes would drop Holmes's victims into the building's basement. So kind of like the Winchester Mystery House in California. I don't know much about it, but yeah. Which I think is in San Francisco, I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Right there somewhere, I think. It's in California. Maybe we can do an episode on that one day. 
Yeah, I know like staircases that go nowhere and hallways that go nowhere and doors open to nothing. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, sounds about like it. And so in the basement, after he shot his victims into the basement through the chutes, there were vats of acid, pits of quicklime, and these were used to decay the corpses as well as a crematorium. How did he get all that stuff without somebody noticing? I don't know. It was back in the day. He was probably hiring other people to like get it for him. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so the first of Holmes's murder victims was his mistress. Her name was Julia Smythe, and she lived in the one of the apartments in the building, and she worked at one of the retail shops. And she had a daughter named Pearl, and on Christmas Eve of 1891, both of these women, the daughter may have been young, I don't really know, I'm assuming she was fairly young, uh, they disappeared. And Holmes claimed that Julia died during an abortion, but Holmes was the actual killer. Hmm. So, and then there were other women who disappeared uh, in a similar fashion. One was named Emmeline Cogrand, and another one was Edna Van Tassel. And the body of these women were never found, but it's rumored that he may have sold their corpses to medical schools, which aligns with the previous uh, things that he did when he would have the cadavers and then try to sell them and, like, do stuff and mess with the cadavers, you know, and get, like, insurance money. So the cadavers could have been human bodies back then, like real bodies. Yes, that's what we already said. They're real bodies. That's creepy. Yeah, it's a little creepy, but I would rather have my doctor work on a real dead body than just look at a picture in a book before he cuts me open. Well, yeah, true. I mean, I wouldn't want to have surgery at all back in these days. I don't want to have surgery now, but I definitely wouldn't want to have it back in 1800s. It's an automatic death. No, I'm sure people lived. Probably few, but I'm sure there's some that lived. Yeah, the ones that God chose specifically. Anyways, uh, so he made money on women's like these too because... When they would come to like work for him or live with him, he would force them to take out insurance, like life insurance policies, and like they would be in his name. And so when he killed them, he was able to collect the money. And I don't know anything about this, but I assume that they were willing to do this because he probably gave them cheap rent and, you know, gave them a decent amount of pay, more than they might would have been able to get somewhere else. And so they're like, if I have to take out this weird life insurance policy, I'll do it. But... He's kind of a smart man, though. Get paid on both ends. Yeah. Get paid by the life insurance, and then you get paid for selling the bodies. Yeah. So, along with murdering people who just lived and worked in the building, he began luring visitors from the World's Fair to his murder castle with the promise of cheap lodging. And so, I probably would have been victim to this cheap lodging thing, because <laughs> I'm always trying to find the cheap way out, and I assumed that the place was fairly nice. It was just built. And so, if I'm getting... You know, Hilton-level hotel with a cheap price tag. I'm there. And then I'm probably dead. Would you be there? Mm, yeah, probably. So I'd probably be the one helping him. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. So he killed people in like these weird, meticulous ways. And some of the rooms had ironclad walls with the hid blow torches. And then like the blow torches came out, they would melt the flesh off these people. Others became gas chambers, and so you would be, like, in your room, and then the door was, like, I guess made in a way to where the gas couldn't escape, and then the gas would come out of the vents in your room, 
and kill you. And he had a hanging chamber where I guess he would hang people. And there were also places where he would force guests to like overdose on chloroform somehow. He had very unique ways, didn't he? Yeah. So for most of them, I don't think he didn't kill them like with his bare hands or like go and chop them up or shoot them or anything like that. He rigged the building to where the building was what killed them, basically. Hmm. And the exact number of people that he actually killed is still debated by historians. They don't exactly know. So soon after, it was either during the still while the fair was going on or right after, it was in 1893, he fled Chicago and he was caught soon after he fled. And he was arrested in Boston, not for the murders in the murder castle, but because he had an alleged murder of his assistant, Benjamin Pietzel, and two of his children. And so following the arrest, Holmes claimed to have killed 200 people in the murder castle, but he ultimately only actually confessed to killing 27 people. So to me, I feel like he probably had a big ego and he was like, yeah, I killed 200 people. And then they're like, okay, did you actually? And then he's like, no, there's really only 27. Yeah. That's still a lot of people. Yeah, that's still a lot of people, especially because he didn't really operate in the, the killing. Like, so when he killed the people that lived and worked in his building, he couldn't kill them, you know, like every day or every yeah. few weeks because it's hard to get somebody to move in and then get the life insurance policy. So at that point, he was trying to make money, it seems like. But then when he started luring people from the World's Fair, it's like he would just start a killing just because he thought it was fun. So he kind of changed his MO, which is interesting for a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And But then some reports, some historians say he only killed nine people. I feel like that number is too low. Yeah. Personally. I feel like a lot of the people, that people might be using that number, but I feel like a lot of people he killed, there's probably no trace of their body. Yeah. Especially a lot of stuff done in the basement. Yeah. And so I thought this was interesting. So while in captivity awaiting his trial and sentencing, he uh, wrote his own book, like all the, the awful serial killers do, and he called it Holmes's Own Story. And he wrote in the book, I could not help the fact that I was a murderer no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. So he basically was saying he was born to be a murderer and he couldn't help it. And no matter what, he was going to murder. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe. Um, He was only incarcerated for a little bit and he was hanged for his crimes in 1896. So basically less than a year, which is interesting because if you go on like death row now, which this is not really death row, but when you go on death row for being a serial killer these days, you are there for a long time. Oh yeah, you have plenty of years. Yeah, so he got hanged immediately, basically, after. And so here are some fun facts. And he was the only person that knew the actual layout of the murder castle because he changed contractors so much. So he would like hire one company to do just this little part and then he would fire them and basically destroy their blueprints and probably, in my mind, he probably like redid them to give to the new contractors that made what had already been done look different mm-hmm. than what was actually there. So nobody knew all of the secret passages and all the weird little things that he actually had built. Except for him. Except for him. And this goes along with what the blueprints had. It included 51 doorways that opened to brick walls, 100 windowless rooms, stairs that led to nowhere, two furnaces, and 
body size shoots to an incinerator. So I mentioned this when we did our last podcast about the theory that H.H. Holmes could be Jack the Ripper. I did not follow up as I said I would. I should have. I had this extra week to do it to before we recorded. But we started class this week and everything's kind of been crazy. So there is a theory that H.H. Holmes could be Jack the Ripper. And it is really uh, put out there by a relative of H.H. Holmes named Jeff Mudgett. He's, I think, like his great-great-grandson or great-great-great-grandson, something like that. He thinks that it's possible that H.H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper are the same person. Because they still don't know who Jack the Ripper was. The only thing is that I remember from the show when I watched the documentary series was that the M.O. for Jack the Ripper and the M.O. for H.H. Holmes was very different. But they say that the timeline does slightly line up. That when when Jack the Ripper was active in London, that H.H. Holmes wasn't active or there wasn't much known about him in America during that time. Hmm. So if somebody really wants me to go into this more, I can try to find time to maybe rewatch the documentary series and uh, talk about it. But it'll take a lot of time because there's not really articles that I can read. But if somebody really, really wants it, I will do it. Jack the Ripper, been on the podcast. Yeah, I could just do one on Jack the Ripper, which would be which would be fun because I really don't know much about him. That kind of was like a series, World Fair, Triple H. And then Jack yeah. the Ripper. Yeah, so maybe next time we'll we'll look into Jack the Ripper and then maybe we can maybe I can hone in on the theory that they're the same person and just focus on that. So I feel like if I had done the whole H. H. Holmes is Jack the Ripper in this episode, it would have been a lot. Oh yeah. I wouldn't have sat here that long. <laughs> yeah, me either, because I'm tired because we've been running around all day and it's cold as heck. Oh, and also the man that is doing the documentary that's H.H. Holmes' relative has a interesting thing that he thinks that the person who was hanged when H.H. Holmes was hanged was not actually Holmes but a man that Holmes tricked into it. I don't know how much I believe that. I, ha- I didn't see that anywhere else. It's an interesting theory. You know, conspiracy theory and whatnot. Conspiracy alert. Yeah, conspiracy alert. But I don't know. I just thought that was a fun tidbit to add in. And the murder castle no longer stands. The property, I guess it was bulldozed, whatever. The only thing that stands on the property now is the Inglewood Post Office. So, I remember in the show, they went and they wanted to, like, dig around to see if they could find anything left from the murder castle. And I don't think they were really allowed to go digging because post office is, like, a federal state thing. So, yeah, they couldn't really dig. But that was H.H. Holmes. I found him fascinating that's, yeah, that's all there was I find him fascinating because I first learned about him on a really good TV show ca- called Timeless you should watch it if you haven't they do a really good episode on H.H. Holmes that got me interested in H.H. Holmes and the World Fair but for me I just think it's fascinating because of how the he killed people how he didn't do it like he didn't actually kill them physically himself but he made this whole world, basically, tiny world, uh, to murder people in. Yeah. So, thank you for joining us for our fourth episode of Crazy As History. You can find us on Instagram 
at Crazy Ass History. That is my favorite mode of communication. And if you follow us there, that's the best place. You can find us on Facebook at Crazy Ass History. You can find us on Twitter at Crazy Ass History. We're still on Podbean. Still on CastBox. Still haven't figured out how to get on Spotify. If somebody knows how to help me do that, that would be great. And we're on iTunes, which please listen on iTunes. And after you listen, it would be great if you could leave us five stars and give us a review. Write something nice. If you have something mean to say, send it to the email and I'll get Brandon to answer it for you. Yeah, please do. We got one good review uh, on iTunes. Remember the name? I can look. Because they messaged me the other day on Instagram and told me that they had given us a review. And I will give them a shout out because why not? It is I Don't Know Podcast. I don't know. So they gave us a review, which was nice. So if anybody else wants to give us a review, that would be really really kind. Tex Tex would like it. Tex also has Instagram. Yeah, it's Tex underscore takes underscore Insta. He's real cute. I post really cute pictures of him. So even if you don't like our podcast, you could at least like our pupper. Yeah. I don't know if I call him a pupper. I call him a dog, but... All right. Well, this has been crazy as... History? Yep. Bye. See you, bye.